Hi, this is Madeline, a.k.a. Groisha, founder of Growing With The Seasons. Our new voice, Season 1, is the foundation of the intergenerational conversation. It's been in my heart to do. We need more mirrors and voices to inspire our choices. For in the reflection of each other, we all grow wiser. I know I have. To learn more or get involved in this and other co-creations and conversations, check out the website gwtsfamily.com. We offer many ways to help you groom your authentic expression. Here we grow. Hello, welcome again to our new voice. Oh boy, I'm in a great spot tonight. I've got a super seat. I'm here speaking with Kevin Nathaniel. He brought this amazing way to play his drums and his shakers and make sound that you felt the earth through the ground. Like he's making music to help our frequency grow and he's on the show. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Groisa. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for the way you live in life. So yeah, so let's hit those questions. So the first one that we're asking everyone is, how were you informed of your gender? Like, how did you come to understand those aspects of yourself as a younger person? Like, what do you recall and how you're informed in your family about your gender? Wow. Um, you know, that's, I think it just seemed like a, uh, a very sort of natural matter of fact kind of thing. Nobody actually made a big deal of it when I was a kid because of the fact that I grew up with all brothers. Where were you in the lineup? Which one of the brothers were you? I was, I would be considered the youngest, but, but, but I was a twin. Oh, I didn't know you were a twin. Yeah, I am a twin. I'm still a twin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my twin brother is, lives in Boston right now. But, uh, and do you look the same or do you look different? Well, if we were to, you know, do something to make ourselves look the same. We could, we get close, but he's, he's more heavy set than I am. So he's probably about anywhere from 30 to, you know, 40 pounds heavier than me, you know? Mm -hmm. so, uh, but your faces look similar. Yeah. You know, people would trip out if we, if, if we were walking down the street together, you know, I, he doesn't have any beard or mustache. We're easy to tell apart back when we were in high school and in grade school, we were very hard to tell apart. No one, it was hard, you know, only people who really were observant to tell us apart. Wow, uh, course, I had no could, idea you were a twin. How interesting. Yeah, and we could always tell people how to tell us apart. We could always say, this is the secret. This is how you tell us apart. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, we have that with the twins, too. Do we, do we have a few of those spots with the twins? We have boys that look pretty similar, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But, yeah, so because I grew up in a house with all brothers, it was, it was, it just seemed like the gender thing was never really a, a, a issue of discussion. We were just living our lives as, you know, as, as the boy's life, you know, running around, you know, playing boys sports and games. And, you know, the, the one who really was the one we were watching was my older brother, cause he was a good couple of years older than, than all, all of us. So we were kind of as, as kids watching him just, you know, kind of get an idea of, oh, yeah, try that, do that, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, but me and my twin brother spent a lot of time together, you know. I would say, you know, when you're, when you're a very young child, like a toddler, you know, the gender issue is probably not even brought up, not even talked about, you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you probably become aware uh, as you are dressed certain ways by your parents, you know, mm -hmm. and as you begin to relate to people certain ways, then you become aware that, you know, that of what your gender is, you know, I would mm -hmm. say, when I was, of course, I, I can't remember when I became aware of that, you know, I can't remember how old I was when I became aware. Do you remember, do you remember any like, um, messages around what it was to be a boy or what, what it represented? Um, not really because, you know, like I said, because, it, because it was so much like the air we were breathing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we were we were out. I, I pr probably the earliest kind of experiences that would probably be, you know, boy like were just you know the kind of games we were playing outside when we mm -hmm. go outside. Mm -hmm. And I do remember the place where it really became clear to me was when I finally went to kindergarten, and you know, when I went to kindergarten because then. I, I became aware because, you know, basically when I was before kindergarten, I was not in environments where there were many women or girls. Oh, really? Know? What about your mom? Yeah, no my aunts. mom was there. My mom and my aunts, but I wasn't around, you know, girls necessarily because oh. we, I grew up in a house of boys. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, there were times when, you know, we would, they would take us to like, you know, parties or whatever, or get together with kids. But, you know, I can't even remember those. I, I mm -hmm. suddenly became, I mm -hmm. became aware of the fact that, that, you know, girls did different things, played different games. I became aware of that when I went to kindergarten, you know, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. uh, that they played differently. They, you know, and, and, and of course, when we, when we were in, in kindergarten, there were always this playground, you go to the playground and, um, boys just you know we played different games and 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 that, that became obvious to me <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but i would mm -hmm. say before kindergarten that was probably not so obvious to me mm. all right so it's just it just was you're born into it and you just lived it and learned as it happened yeah so yeah though that's a question that we just always include because at this part of the conversation it's everybody's orientation seems to affect how they grow their whole lives yeah you know it's just it an interesting thing right Yep, it's it's that early environment, that early mm -hmm. environment that sh that shapes you so predominantly. You know, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And I remember, you know, I I credit you know, my my mother for really providing a rich early environment. You know, because my father spent a lot of time at working, mm -hmm. but my mother actually quit work to take care of me and my twin brother. And uh, and she really made sure that we had that we were always learning while we were, you know, basically toddlers, you know, mm -hmm. and she and we were always learning because she always had these things that looked like games for us to do. <laughs> games were were games we were learning, you know. Nice. So uh, and smart I, mama. Yeah, I, smart I, I, mama. I, I really credit her with that. You know, she, mm -hmm. she is the one who gave me and my twin brother really firm foundation, a real great foundation, you know, so that when we had to go into settings with other people, go to the schools and things like that, we were, we were well prepared.
Yes. Well, may that persist. Yeah. That sounds like good, good loving over there for the families. Yeah. 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 Nice. So then as you grew on, what did you learn about yourself in relationships? Like how did, you know, we say that life's a school, relationships are the classroom. So as you continued to mature and, you know, you're, you're growing on, how did you learn? What did you learn about yourself in relationships? Wow. I guess, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to take a, a trip into memory lane now because I'm trying to see, you know, at what point I began, became aware of learning about myself through relating with other people. Of course, as I said, as a young child, I was, because I grew up in a boy's world house, I was very much a boy and all through grade school, you know, I was very boyish. I was very, I don't know what made me this way, but I learned early on that I was a, I was a tough guy, you know, as a mm -hmm. child, I was a tough mm -hmm. guy. That's and, kind of surprising knowing you the way I know you now and the way you meet the world. So right, that's right. kind of funny, right? Right. So obviously in relationships, you learned to be new perversions of yourself, right? You've been changing in yeah, relationships. Yeah. Because as a young child, I was, I was a tough guy. You know, I was also aware that I was, you know, a little bigger than the, all the other kids, you know? So I was aware that, you know, my relationship with them was that, yeah, I was the tough guy, you know, I was going to take care of myself. I was going to, I didn't need anybody's help. You know, uh -huh. I, uh, I, I also had an advantage because, you know, I had the way my mother prepared me. So I was used to kind of, and, and so I would say that that, those early relationships, you know, sort of, you know, were, were key, you know, and, and to sort of developing, you know, who I thought I was. My, my father used to always tell me that he wanted me to be, he wanted, he wanted all of his kids to be lawyers because he was a lawyer. So as a child, I thought of myself as somebody who's going to be a lawyer, you know, all that changed uh, later on down the game, down the road. But, you know, I thought of myself as my relations with other people, you know, made me feel that, you know, I was, this, this kid was going to be a lawyer who was also a tough guy, you know, and didn't take no mess from any other kids and sort of, you know, enjoyed that position because mm -hmm. that position is like, nobody could pick on me, you know, nobody, mm. nobody mm -hmm. could intimidate me. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a certain kind of like, you know, you kind of enjoy that position because you're like, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time I was peaceful. I didn't pick on and, and try to intimidate other kids, you know, mm -hmm. but there was always, there were always the bullies. The bullies were always there and I was not afraid of the bullies. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, you know, I, I would, some bullies tried me at times and I, I let them have a piece of my mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Got things clear, straighten it right up. Them, right, you know, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. you know, but so all those things, those are the things that sort of, you know, early on, you know, shaped me. Mm. And, uh, and so, yeah. And I, I began to sort of like, sort of open up to, you know, being, I would say more, more being able to, peel away some of those layers mm -hmm. uh, as I went into, you know, 
uh, teenage life. You know, as, as soon as I began to hit 11, 12, 13, I began to peel away some of those layers. They were still there. You know, mm-hmm. I, by the time I was 13, I was still a tough guy. Mm-hmm. I was still, but I, w- I, I was becoming um, more interested in being peaceful. I definitely was aware of being a peaceful person by the time I was 12 and 13. I was very aware of that. Mm. And, uh, and did you understand that it was like music and vibrational peaceful or was it just a feeling inside of peaceful? Like, how did you come to resonate with peacefulness? Oh, actually, I'll tell you, I began to resonate with peacefulness as early as third and third grade, third and fourth grade. And I remember that. I remember when I decided I was going to be peaceful in third grade. Um, wow. And I remember that because I used to fight all the bullies, right? I fought everybody who thought they were tough, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I was very good at fighting them. I was, you know, so anyway, by the time, by the time I fought the last bully I fought, I was, I said, I'm done with fighting kids and I, I don't want to fight kids. Anymore. I don't want to fight anybody. Anymore. And this was by the time I was on the Third or fourth grade. It's like 10, 10 or 10 years old, maybe. Eight, yeah. Nine, yeah. And, and my twin brother never fought kids. You know, he was not. Okay. Kid, Is he peaceful? Did he choose to be peaceful in the same way? Uh, in a way he did. Yeah. He, he, mm-hmm. he was probably, he was probably, you know, far more peaceful than I was when <laughs> we were kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, although he was not, we, we are, we would argue amongst each other and sometimes get into fights, but we learned to stop fighting each other and our parents got us to stop fighting each other early on. So we, we had a very peaceful, mostly, yeah, I would say pretty much after we were nine, eight or nine years old, we didn't have any arguments or fights between us. We, we always, you know, really find a peaceful way to resolve it. Nice. But I decided by, like I said, by around nine or 10 years old that I would be peaceful with other, with other people, with other kids, Mm -hmm. people I was related to, uh, because mm-hmm. literally something, something told me back then, I said, I'm tired of fight. I was like, I'm through with fighting these kids. I don't want to do it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, the, you know, that sort of helped redefine the way I saw myself too back then. And, uh, and I used to, I remember taking the peaceful path on many situations, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I remember, uh, being uh, uh being with my twin brother and somebody uh did something that you know was that hurt my twin brother uh hurt his hand and i remember thinking about what i would have done if if it was years and years ago but i remember thinking mm-hmm. you know i'm gonna be peaceful about this and i remember t- talking to my twin brother about that and we both talked about you know the fact that we were going to be pe- we that we took a peaceful response this and we were what we were probably 12 years old at that time you know wow um but yeah so uh, nice well however it's been working it sounds like you guys got the training you needed to use your energies in a good way yeah yeah i you know Mm -hmm. there were some influences there you know some strong influences by the time we were i would say 11 years old 12 years old my mother actually suggested that we start studying with this martial arts teacher and me and my twin brother. 
and he started teaching everybody, all the boys in the neighborhood. So we had like eight or nine boys in the basement of our house taking <laughs> martial arts. You know, we were all nice. like 11 to 12, 13 to 14. That's a great age for that. They, you guys must have been loving that. We did. And they and all the other boys dropped out. They just left. They left the class after about a couple months. It was just me mm -hmm. and my twin brother. And and that was one of the things that, you know, I would say by around 12 or 13 years old, maybe 13, maybe before 13, we were the only ones working with this martial arts teacher. And we were really drilled that, at that point in the idea of being peaceful. And that was mm -hmm. the, really the really interesting, you know, mm -hmm. the interesting idea of, of taking martial arts. If you have a really good martial arts instructor, they will teach you to be peaceful. Well, it's about your stillness. It's about the mastery of your body. It's about being able to be present with the movements of the other. Like all of those things make sense because that's like, that's when you're in your essence in a way and you're able to manage your energy and you're not being affected by the outside in a way that you lose yourself. Right. It's, it's all that. It's, it's all, it's mm -hmm. all that having this really being in touch with your emotions, mm -hmm. being in touch with, 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 with who you are, you know, having a bigger vision on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the most powerful thing that a really good martial arts teacher could share with, mm -hmm. with, with students is, is the fact that, you know, no, you know, maybe you're here to study this, but, you know, if you really are learning, you're going to learn all the ways to avoid ever having to be this, to use this art form, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, and that's so beautiful. I like it. Thank you. What a great answer. So then as you grew on and you did relationships of different romantic types and stuff, what more did you learn about yourself as far as like being able to share and share leadership, you know, reciprocity in relationships, like those types of things Did you continue in the classroom that way? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I was always like, like, I guess most boys, you know, when they're, really young by the time I was 11 you know I began to think okay I need to you know try to at 12 I need to try to talk to this girls these girls over here try to mm -hmm. get, be friendly with them you mm -hmm. know and I was very shy with that I didn't have had no idea how that would be done you know mm -hmm. and uh and so by the time I was I guess 12 or 13 there was one girl who I think I asked her on a date when we were like 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And that was probably my f first date I ever went on. <laughs> and I was so nervous. I was just like, you know, you know, how can I do this? You know? And mm -hmm. so the date was, was something I think we were, I think I was, it was maybe it was our last year in grade school or junior high. So anyway, I talked to my brother, my older brother, because of course I was looking at my older brother for everything. I was like, you know, mm -hmm. what I do, you know, look at what he, look at him, you know, mm -hmm, he's, mm -hmm. he's giving me an example. And he was having no problem with that. He was going on dates with girls and, you know, he, cause he was about five years older than me. Mm -hmm. I asked my older brother uh, if he would take me with him uh, to a movie with, uh, and I would take this girl uh, who's, I guess, 12 or 13. And he said, mm -hmm. yeah. And that was so thrilling to me. I was, <laughs> but I was nervous. I was, yeah. 
I think I, I just, the night was a blur to me, you know, because I'm so <laughs> nervous that I can't really recall, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what the movie was, what we did. I just remember, you know, feeling nervous and not knowing, you know, how to really communicate. Mm-hmm. And, and so I began to, I, I was aware of that, you know, I was aware of that fact that it was, I was not comfortable with that. I was having trouble communicating. I was aware of that. And I knew that that was something that I had to get over. Mm-hmm. How I would get over it, I don't know. But at the same time, I was very, you know, energetic, very energetic. And I, I, because I was involved with, got involved with this really athletic martial arts, we began to do acrobatics as, right along with the martial arts. Hmm. So I began to become pretty good at acrobatics. And so I began to also get involved with, if you grew up in Detroit, right? That's where I grew up at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody has to dance in Detroit. You, you can't not dance. If you what a wise place to grow up. My God, that should be, that should be a rule everywhere. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, you would go to the, you would, you, if you went to parties, even kids' parties, there was some time where people would be just be dancing. Uh, if you went to family affairs, if you were, you know, holidays, Thanksgiving, when all your aunts and uncles come over, there was some point where everybody would be dancing. That's great. But I still, I, I, I was nervous about the idea of dancing with a girl. You know, I could dance with my parents. I could dance with my, you know, with my aunts and uncles. I could dance with my cousins. Mm-hmm. But dancing with another, it was a girl I didn't know or, or had only met, you know, in school or something like that. That was a real, real obstacle for me, you know, mm-hmm. to try to get over. I began to just, you know, really watch the dancers who knew what they were doing. Really cool. I would watch from the sidelines and I would like study what they were doing, you know, and the people I watched and studied what they were doing actually were these, most of these boys that were, they were really good were, they were probably, someone would say they were probably effeminate or, you know, Back then, when I was a kid, we, they would call them sissy boys. You know? um, that was the word they would use. It, it was it was sometimes not you know meant to hurt the person's feeling. That was just the language we used back then. True so, story. So, but the, but but some of these boys I would see, and I had a great deal of respect for them. The reason why I had a great deal of respect for them is because they had mastered the ability to relate to anybody, whether it's a girl or boy. Mm. They had no obstacle there. Nice. So I saw them dancing with girls and I basically would watch and say, okay, that's how it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I saw their flute, flute how, how fluid they were, how relaxed, how comfortable they were. And I began to really like, project myself into that feeling, you know? And because I was very athletic and very physical, I became, you know, a very good dancer for my age back then, you know, which was 13, 14. 
I became, you know, really, you know, and I had a lot of musical rhythm skills. So that was one of the things that helped me to really begin to relate to the, to the opposite sex women back then, girls back mm. then, was the fact that I could dance with them, you know, and I had, and I literally, and, and, I, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't just come up doing this. I knew that I had to teach or learn how to do this from mm-hmm. watching these, from watching these, from watching these guys, mm-hmm. these young boys who were, as I said, they were effeminate, you know, but they danced so freely. They danced so good that, you know, and I, I could see how that was, that skill made them totally fluid in relating to. Yeah, they had a confidence about them. Like they weren't moving it from anything more than just moving energies together like you're dancing. Right. And they were also relating to women in a very open, trendy way. There was no like ulterior motive going on mm-hmm. with yeah, yeah. women. And mm-hmm. and I, I I could catch all that as a kid. I could catch the 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 the, the joy and what they were doing and mm-hmm. how that joy was, was being, you know, reciprocated by everybody, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and back in, back in, back in Detroit, you know, it's funny, like, you know, we, we knew that there were people that were gay, but they, that was never a issue, you know, especially mm-hmm. because there was a certain, there were a certain gay fat, a certain gay factor in any black church, you know, uh, oftentimes you had gay choir directors, gay choir members. Sometimes you had gay ministers, you know, and it was clear, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't necessarily hide it. You could see it, but they didn't flaunt it either. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. just were who they were. Mm-hmm. And you knew what was going on. So Detroit black community, you know, the idea of, 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 of gays and straights and this, it, that was, it was so, it was so fluid. There was, I, I, I grew up in an environment where there was no, literally no such thing as people bashing gays, you know, nice. or, you know, now later on in high school, I saw some of that going on because there were some, there were some uh, gay students who were so forward about it. Mm-hmm. That, that they became, you know, sort of like riots in the in the high school, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, but then there were gay students who weren't forward about it. And they, like I said, they they were they weren't super forward about it. So they were they were just blended in with everybody else, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it was it was watching those those boys who were probably the age were only like fourteen. You know, but they were so fluid, and that that sort of got me over this this fear and this like, you know, really uh, insurmountable obstacle of trying to figure out how I was going to relate to girls, and you know, through dancing with them and through dancing with them in a very, you know, shared joyful way with you know, in the same spirit that I saw with with those with those with those. Other boys, you know, would do it. You know, it's okay. I, I call it, that's the spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the way, you know. So you're so observant. You really learned a lot from the reflection of others and were able to integrate it into character. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it, mm, that's it, wise. able to use it as a ladder to climb on, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, without that, without you, that, then I'm kind of like stuck trying to figure out how I'm going to work all this out. And some people, some boys I grew up with never worked it out. They never worked it out. You know? mm-hmm. They were always had some sort of obstacle block, you know, in relating to women or the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like that's a liberating way to live and that you get to have a lot of fun and you get to dance a lot too. Yeah. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you get to experience the, the joy of the, of just being with people just mm-hmm. in the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, even, and when I hear it, I definitely grew in an environment that you could feel the energy of the masculine towards your femininity. Yeah. You know, so whether it was cat calls or just the way that they would inference you or talk about you, like, so I felt very conscious of that. I remember purposely wearing really baggy clothes and not wanting to show the shape that was growing. Right. On my body. And then I remember showing it but kind of showing it to get the attention that you're supposed to get now because you have it kind of thing (laughs) and then when i saw myself doing that i was like that's ridiculous i'm not doing that you know and i went back to just wearing what was comfortable and i stopped trying to negotiate it but i definitely felt very sensitive to the idea being objectified right i i didn't enjoy that energy it didn't bring a sense of uh sweetness or safety to my character yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that's something that men, boys, that's a, that's a whole experience that women have that men, boys can't even, they, 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 they can't really totally comprehend that. Mm-hmm. And now the young girls, I mean, they want it, it seems, or something like they're excited to be, looked at in that way and present parts of themselves that are going to make people think about them in ways that I would for sure still now not want to ever do. And I think the few <laughs> right. times that I did pop up something looking a little bit more like boom, check about bout was just like on a day that I was going through some surges in my, you know, years and just reminding myself that, you know, beauty's beauty's here, but the beauty for me, like how you picked peace within it occurred to me, like, I didn't know I was pretty. I had no idea I was pretty, you know, not really until I was much older. And I looked back and realized that I was actually a very pretty girl when I was younger. I mean, I'm still obviously a pretty woman, but I didn't understand that for me, I wanted everyone to know me from the inside. And I was really focused on growing beauty and grace on the inside of me. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't come to peace in my story, but I knew that the beauty in my heart and the way I really dream the world and how I felt about things like that was what I wanted people to know. Mm-hmm. But I had, uh, you know, a nature to me and a charm to me and a looks to me that people would move energy and come in and out. But I would always be checking in like, where's this coming from? Right. You know, so I might have grown an extra sensitivity to it that maybe was on my side too. You know, we all learn what we learn to try to feel the essence of safety that we perceive. Yeah. But I, I definitely think that it's interesting how much attention we're bringing to aspects of people that are, 
I don't know if I want to say private or maybe I want to say sacred. Yes, sacred. You know, like they're sacred. sacred. Yeah. And like in that sacredness, like it, there's, it's just, it's nice when things are kept really well and, and sacred. Like, you know, like I know when I open up certain boxes with some of my special tools, like you can feel the reference of those things there because of the way I keep them. Yeah. You know, when I take them out, they're, they're noticeable because of the way I keep them sacred. Yeah. So I'm always wondering when I see, especially the young women, because I, I sometimes struggle to even be fully authentic with them because I, I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and by no means do I, I offer, you know, any judgment or anything of that type. But golly, I, I just... It's not going to the direction that my senses say it needs to go. Like if I don't have a sense of the sacredness and the wholeness of this being, and I can't bring in my balanced energies and wholeness right. and grace, then I'm not doing anything to change this crazy place. Yeah, I'm basically just playing, playing out whatever I can do as much as I can until I can't anymore. And like that's that to me, uh, I mean... I guess I'm over that more and more and more part of life. You know, I really like the uh, idea of doing it because it's mine to do. Like I came with gifts and I refined myself to use them and to put them deliberate, deliberately where I feel they go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to just kind of throw it around. Right. You know, I just learned more about NFTs again. And I have such an intuition about how they play in. Because for the longest time, even when my music came out and different things, I've always had this idea that it's like, I want to put it all somewhere. I want it to be in its own space. I'm not looking for it to be in the middle of everything and get walked all over and this and that. It's like uh -huh. these things that are coming through, they're sacred. They're from it's the sacred. earth. They're messages yep. and their information and all the ways that I've used my creativity through life. I'm noticing now are puzzle pieces of a philosophy of how to grow ourselves differently from the elements and the earth. So for me to just throw it out, they're like, well, see if somebody likes it. It's like, I'm not worried about anybody like it. I'm worried about making sure this tree is clear and true and the clarity comes and that it's held sacredly so that it can be referred to at some point in time. Right. You know, or even for myself, just yeah. to keep it somewhere that I don't have to feel so vulnerable to it being so this NFT concept that I, again, still processing fully, it gives me that sense of a container that you put in what you, what you know is sacred. And uh -huh. you know, we call each other like soul family. It's like, it's not just my vibration. There's a whole bunch of energy that feels in this frequency. It draws itself to me and I draw myself to it. Many of the people in this podcast are it. Right. Do you know, because there's a frequency of clarity that sees us as a, as a forest of trees growing in sovereignty, but still connected, each doing our part in the frequency of why we're here. Yes. Like, and we know that. And we know from wherever you are, I know you're doing it. I know it. Do you know what I mean? And so that to me is part of what brings back the, uh, the ecosystems, touching the ecosystems, you know, the vibration, you know, resonating together. Yeah. So... I wonder about that kind of stuff, but I also know that we all get there when we get there. And I think we use what we got and we can't deny that sexuality has really been used to make a lot of money and do a lot of things for people to be able to move energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the issue is that in the environments, most of us grow up here in the United States, or if it's in a lot of parts of the world, it's 
sexuality is not presented as sacred to us when in fact it should be it's it should be it should be sacred from the start and um you know we grow up in these environments where you know as a child you you see these you know magazines you popping up on somebody's table you know hustler or playboy you know you see this and suddenly you know you begin to you know, even if you haven't experienced that sort of way or that that objectification in your upbringing, you begin to sense that just from experience in these magazines and these other things that are there have been out there that are, that are mm-hmm. easy to find. Yeah, I mean, I know that happened. Why sisters and I found those things, and we you know had it imprinted by it. But I'll also say. I watched each of the boys pull away from me when they became active in those types of energies. Oh, okay. And so that that whole energy is really curious to me because where I hold this light and this joy in their heart, when they start to engage in that place that you know makes them flow and grow and all that, there's a certain kind of energy towards me that's just really different. Wow. And I pick up on it like instantly. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this one's watching porn. He started. I can tell he's. Okay. And I would want to come in and have these conversations, you know, but there wasn't a foundation for it because what's in the world is so strong. Right. And they think it's what's rough. Like, this is, what are you talking about? You know, like one time I said to the twins and their friends, I said, Okay, so if you guys were going to um, fund something like a movie or something you're going to put forward with your life, is there anyone that you wouldn't let fund your work? Like, is there anywhere that you wouldn't take money for what you were doing? Uh-huh. Just curious, you know, those are the kind of things that, you know, I'm right. famous to bring into conversations. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, like, would you let uh, a pornography place like promote your movie or something like that? And they were like, yeah, totally. And they just like went down the pipe with it. Right. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Like, and I was holding my ground. There's like four teenagers, you know, and I'm just like, I don't got a lot of room here. And I was just like, yeah, that's just not, uh, that's just not something I would want to promote more of. I understand it's a, it's a right to use our sexuality in divine ways. And I think that is part of how we live and pray if I'm truthful but I don't think that's helpful. And maybe it's a trauma wound. And I said to them in the moment, I said, because as a mother, you lose a certain reverence from your sons. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate. So I'm kind of don't know where to go with the conversation about the movie boys. And they just kept busting me about it. But there was some reflection, I imagine afterwards, but I don't go fishing for that. I let the universe take care of the rest. But in that moment, I was like, boy, there's really a way that things just get to see some seem so normal that people don't even consider that that could be twisted. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, well, in these, I would say after a certain uh, point in time, and I can't because, you know, I grew up in uh, through the 60s. And I would say in the 60s, there was 
there was uh, it was a lot easier <laughs> to keep those influences away from you. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a yeah. lot easier in the sixties. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and in the sixties, mm-hmm. it was kind of easy to keep any influences away from you. You know, because mm-hmm. of the fact that it, you had to really go around it and be around it. It did. It wasn't coming into your house. It wasn't coming on your mm-hmm. laptop. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it it wasn't on your TV so much. You know, uh, if you had a TV, so um, you know, there there was, but. And I, I, I wonder, you know, because I see my, my twin brother has a lot of kids. And I used to uh, pick up some of their kids, some of his kids' stuff, you know, and, read, and check it out and read it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even the, he has a lot of girls, even some of the stuff the girls had when they were like only 11 and 12 years old mm-hmm. was... Was pretty raunchy stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. To use a word that maybe you know doesn't really touch, but I would say that you know, in other words, these were ideas that were not presented in their sacredness, right? Right, and it was in there with the girls, you know, sort of like whatever they had, their whatever little records they had, or you know, pop stars they were listening to. Mm-hmm. You know, I would mm-hmm. say, oh my goodness, you know, that they're only, this is only like 11, 12 years old to be actually having to deal with these ideas at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know when I was 11, 12, we weren't dealing with those. We, we weren't, we weren't there at all. You know? No, no, not at all. It wasn't, it wasn't on our, it wasn't on our menu. <laughs> and boy, and, and how much that grooms a certain type of, indifference in a way right right you know and so you know i'm grateful that we're qualifying and and sharing of this word or even these concepts these are the sort of things that i'm never sure how to bring in strong enough because i feel so deeply about it right you know so but and that you know you can get salty when you get older and i don't want to be going getting deep and coming at somebody like you know name you know because i I I get it. It's like you're using what you see to grow what you grow. Right. When we were growing, and maybe you were a little older than me, but we always were having experiences. You know what I mean? Like part of the way I feel in nature is because I spent so much time. Yeah. Like connecting to and listening to and watching. And this because I was outside all the time. Right. I was learning from people. I was, you know what I mean? Like I was intuiting constantly, like, you know, thank God it was so quiet. I don't know if I'd have the connection I do to my intuition if I were so exposed to all those things. And I wonder about that. Like, wouldn't we all want to use the divine right of innate wisdom that helps us have the clarity to make decisions? Wouldn't that connection be primary to whoever wants to kiss you or not kiss you? Right, right, right. Uh, and that's the one I want to keep most sacred. Yeah. That's the one I hold no matter what goes down. I'm like, okay, stuff's going down. This looks like to me a crazy ride, but I know where to connect to. It's that source connection on the inside. And yeah. Keep doing you. That's, that's true. That's crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Wow, I didn't see it going there, but all right, let's get to the next question. It was a late night. We started doing this, but right. this was great. I love it. I love where we're going. I hope we have more conversations. It's wonderful. So the next part where we, we're still learning through relationships, and so the next part of the question was, unless is there more for relationships that you want to put in? I don't want to cut you off because you're giving me such beautiful gold. Like I'm grateful for all of your shares there so far. So is there something more about relationships before we go to the next question? Wow. I think that the point that I said just earlier, which is, is that this whole energy of what happens with dancing with people it saved, it saved me. It made me mm. able to build healthy relationships that maybe if that was not, you know, something that if, the, if I didn't choose to struggle there, mm. that was a struggle, you know, mm -hmm. in other words, I didn't know how I was going to dance with people, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but I liked to dance. I, li I had a lot of energy mm -hmm. and, you know, so I chose that was where I was going to put the struggle at. You know, it wasn't going to be about me trying to talk, use words, talk, talk to some girl. Try to, you know, I wasn't going to try to do that. I was just mm -hmm. going to try to learn how to be able to dance like I saw those other guys do. I love that. And, and be able to, and that sort of saved me because that took me through, that, that took me through high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a lucky move. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I know what my... My first husband, Philip, my husband, as I call him, he was a dancer. He used to teach ballroom dancing. And it was so interesting when he would try to lead the dance, how hard it was to follow. Yeah. You know, but then like when we would just free dance, it was so much fun to dance together right. and the energy would be all over the place and we'd be laughing and wrestling and whatever, right. Right. you know, but when it was time for that form and me to like follow and meet in that space, like it was really hard. And I used to get so mad at myself for it. But I think what you're describing is like letting the energies go together and following the energy in the dance and not getting into any you know, thoughts of like submission or dominance or whatever, just going with the flow of the music and letting yeah. it move the bodies. And then, you know, learning the steps, so you don't step on the feet and stuff when you do the right. salsa and such, but yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Now that was, that was what it was about. It was about the pure joy and the energy of it, you know, mm -hmm. and really that's, that's really what built within me, the ability to be able to openly talk to you know, women, because I grew up in a house talking to boys, mm -hmm. you know, but it was the result of, of, of being in situations where I was dancing with them and, and, and laughing, you know, mm -hmm. just seeing growing that, confident see, and seeing that side of people, you know? mm -hmm. seeing mm -hmm. that side of people where you're like, OK, this is the side of the person that I want to see. Yeah, you know, I don't mm -hmm. want to see this side where you did it, wondering where, where you are, what you are, what you're doing. You know, I don't want to mm -hmm. be there. You know, I don't want to be the, uh, where are you? You know, right. Right. I want to be in this, in this press where, where, where you feel free, feel relaxed, you know, everything is, is in this moment of joy. So that, you know, that, that mm -hmm. saved me from high school. I was, you know, cause high school is the roughest time. Yeah. Yeah, especially for seeing who you are in relationship and measuring yourself up and getting confidence in all those areas. Yeah. 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 I was lucky. I went to a, a co-ed high school because uh, there was the 
a big you know, all-boy high school in Detroit, too. And a lot of people, you know, go to the all-boy high school, you know, because that way you're going to really, you know, study and get your academics and do all that, you know. Um, well, we went to the co-ed high school, and I would say that, you know, a, a great deal of your learning through that time is learning how to flow with all genders, you know, mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. if I was at, and I saw I saw I saw the effect that it had on the boys who went to the all boy high schools. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they would walk. We would go to the same parties sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they would walk into the party looking at girls like they were some sort of like really uh, beings from another planet that they had. <laughs> that they had to somehow another uh, try to possess or control, you know. Yeah, get the prize. Or grab, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Because they were, they were not in situations where they were flowing with all genders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when I was in therapy when I was younger, I remember talking to my therapist, Beth, I said, I don't know, maybe I'm gay or something, but like, I don't really notice what the person is. I just want to connect to everything in the heart. Like I just like to flirt and play with everything. Right. You know, whether it's the flower, the dog, the person, like I'm just like, oh, what are you doing? How's going on in there? You know? And I questioned my like bisexuality and stuff like that. And I said, I guess it has more to do with like looking to make a nice connection where the person feels, you know, safe. And I do too, you know, just looking to be in a place that you're free to be you. Hi. Yeah, and this is, and the other key factor is some of the people that taught me, like I said, were these boys who were gay or they were feminine at a young age. Mm -hmm. And they didn't teach me, they didn't come teach me. I learned by watching them. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that was genius. to, To see that, you know, how, you know, being open minded can really allow you to learn from anybody, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. learning is. Learning is being able to look at anybody and learn from them, you know, mm-hmm. accept their dignity and their honor and their divinity, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so of course there was no, you know, to be able to look at these boys who were, at the time, you know, I would call them gay or feminine or sissy, but that, for that for that idea to not be a negative in my head, mm-hmm. to be able to look at them and say, you know what, they are they're doing something ingenious, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got to learn from that. And they're helping to balance the whole picture for all of us, right? Because they're bringing forth the fact that we're all feminine and masculine and that all the energies come together because there was not a division. There wasn't a split. We've been a little confused by something. But <laughs> we've been confused, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. it was, it's being able to learn from them at a young age, which is important, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be able to look look at any anybody, you know, and say, I can learn from that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I appreciate that. Nice. So do we feel solid with the relationships so we can transition to the next question? Sure. All right. 
So the next question is, how do you know the truth for yourself? Like, how do you discern, you know, your, your choices or your truths? Okay. I will do the best I can to, you know, give a uh, clear, concise answer without rambling for days on that, because that could be a ramble. <laughs> oh, no, that's a big one. But I mean, it's just like your basic model stuff, you know, like your first and second layers, like just, but yeah, that's something I think is really important, because I think we're all parts of the same truth from different perspectives. And so your ability to stand clear and true in your truth is a value and makes you a resource. Yeah. So how you do that is part of how you do, you know, how, how you learn, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, discerning truth for myself is oftentimes um, connecting with how it resonates, how anything resonates inside of me. You know, how anything, if it, if it resonates inside of me as... Uh, something that is making me feel stronger or more joyous or more interested in living, more interested in being here, more interested in being with people, uh, with this world, with nature. If it, if it makes me more interested in that, then then I, I begin to resonate that as truth for me. You know, if it makes me feel divided, away from people, away from nature, away from this uh, electrical connection between all of us, then that, I see the flags of a falsity for me. That to me is false. That to me, won't, it won't resonate with me. And I can't, I can't abide or live by it. So I would say those are, those are some of the key things that. All right. Let me say this back. Let's, let's say this. Cause that's, that's really awesome. I think what I'm hearing you say is you, you know, discern or listen for the resonance of things in the way that if something feels expansive or is going to help you grow or create connection and that type of thing, you move with it. But if you start to feel energy that's more like retreating or not with others or this or that, you pull away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, hmm. I, pull, I, I pull away from it. I, I begin to really doubt or distrust that whatever it is, you know, that is making me feel a, a break in my connection with, with people and with, with nature. Something makes me feel a break in that. I, hmm. Then I, then that, to me, I can't embrace that as truth. So can you give me an example of what something might be that would create that break in that electrical current that you feel connected to? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether he... I know you're a very political guy, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether I'm going to get your show canceled by saying what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to tell you that the most clear example of that was happening over the last two years, you know, when, 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 when I was hearing across the media and everything that... The, that, you know, everybody was supposed to 
shelter in place and they were supposed to social distance from each other and they they were supposed to you know cover their breathing apparatus with you know when i was hearing those things it didn't resonate with me you know my all sorts of you know and all sorts of alarms were going off in my body saying that this was this this was not truth for me you know it could be truth for someone else but it was not truth for me you know, I couldn't, I couldn't abide by it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was, it was cutting, cutting that, breaking that electricity that was connecting me with people and with nature, everything else, you know, and, you know, I, I, I had a similar, you know, resonance to where the truth lied. And I, I stood with my truth on that. But what I noticed was not hugging people. Uh-huh. was really powerful to deepening my own connection to my own energy. Uh, yeah. Like, I recognized that the fields were a meshing. Like, I found that to be a great fertile ground for another layer of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that because, you know, certain energies bring different energies, like, I felt that that distancing was was also like a listening. Like as much as I understand it got played out as a, you know, something could kill us and COVID and this and that. But in truth, it also brought people back to the earth, slowed them down, woke up a lot of stuff. Because I tend to choose to see everything like it's happening for us. And as much as I can appreciate the drama that gets ensued by the different ways that we respond and how money gets made on all the situations happen like they happen. But the the initiation that that was to the human species and that everybody, everybody like in all the places was doing it, that's remarkable. Right. I hear. That that many energies were affected and it and it implemented what it did, but like everybody met it differently. You know, I was out more than ever, but in this more like, you know, not hugging way mess. But I was outside a lot. I went to the farm all the time. Like a whole bunch of beautiful things happened. Right. You in 2020. More connected with nature then. I became more connected to nature. I became more connected to myself. I became more connected to my what I was saying and not saying. Like I just be I became clearer. Right. Right. But that was, I didn't get involved in conversations. I don't watch the TV. I don't, like, I don't, I don't enter, I don't energetically invest in any of the deliberations, if you will. Right. Right. So in other words, you, instead of it breaking your electrical connection, you grounded your electricity, your electricity, you grounded it basically, you know, Mm -hmm. exactly connected to the earth Mm -hmm. or connected nature, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I understand, you know, it, you know, in, in a way you just redirected that 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 sense of that you redirected the hug. <laughs> the hug was going there, but it was there, but it was exactly into the earth. Right. And my light got brighter. My clarity when I got this idea to make this podcast of like ways to help hearts connect, you know, because I knew that so much of the way I was using my personality and my emotional set and all the things was to try to help us be nice to each other and to get along because it'd just be more fun. Like I'm always saying, why aren't we singing together more? Why are we not dancing together more? Like, why are we all just watching? Like this, this this doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense, right? (laughs) Like this, this doesn't make any sense, you know? 
But then in the, the situations you live through and everybody's doing it, all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not what we do anymore. It's like, wait a minute. Wait Why a minute. would we not? <laughs> Come on. Right. Right. And Who that's that. <laughs> yeah, like somebody's tricking us. That makes no sense. You know what I mean? And that's what's funny about meeting with you tonight is I just was with two of my dearest old friends and we used to just dance our life, dance through life, just dance, dance yeah. every night, every go out, dance. You know, I was a bartender, Madeline. I was always dancing. And I really enjoyed that part of life because it kept me so alive because I'm not someone who really, I don't know, say it in a weird way. Like I would go out dancing. I wouldn't talk to anybody really but I connected to everybody and it was all warmth at the end of the night. And I would have so much fun moving the light around the room and the energy, but I wasn't like that. Come and tell me your problems. They're like, I'm a therapist. I do that for a job, you know, cause I was a bartender and I learned how, but like, I was not that person that was like engaged in the drama, but the energy of the music and moving it around a room and feeling the stuff move like, I found out how my body could move energy. Then I went home and I practiced it around a fire and I was like, wait a minute, look what's happening. And I didn't know what was happening. I was dancing in a dance room and all of a sudden I just started to move my hands around. I was like, wait, I'm feeling the energy of this whole room moving through my body. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, and that's what live music does, you know? And then like, and it was like engaging me. I used to talk with my friends. I'm like, I think I'm like a guitar or an instrument. I feel these chords in my body. Like they're an instrument, right. Right. you know? And now I say tune true and then it's your instrument and that you got to play your instrument well, because it makes the most sense to me from experiences, you know, from feeling it. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So I, I feel the truth grows in us from those types of things too, like connections. I just like that whole reflection that when it brings you the idea that you're opening, you know, it's towards growth. And that when it's like more of like a conflictual thing, you say, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. Yeah. When it's, it's closing you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and really, like I said, because we, we were talking about music, you know, it, it, it's 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 a resonance it's how how does it how is it resonating you know you feel this resonance of anything you feel the resonance of your voice when you speak you the resonance of your thoughts are in your head mm -hmm. you know, all this mm -hmm. so how's it resonating in you really mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. that feeling is okay this is truth for me you know or this i can't buy abide by so i can't i can't use this can't be it can't it can't operate as truth in my, in my universe. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the, it's the way I'm experiencing the universe. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes back to that question of, can we even feel it to know the resonance because we've come so far from it? Right. Do you know? Because like that ability to tune into your body and to move and to feel alive from the music, it also gives you a certain clarity about who you are and what you feel because I was healing myself, you know, I've healed anytime I went through hard times, I was dancing to get through it, right. you know, and I'm not saying we should only dance to get through hard times. I should dance every day and I try to. So, but it always moved stuff through us. And I think right. sometimes we don't recognize how stagnant some of the energies in our regular life are. Right. And we don't know that it could be different. Yep. You know, and, and I'm always saying to people when they come to Sarsi, I'm like, you got to watch what you're singing and saying to yourself because you trust your voice. That's right. So what your voice says, it kind of tells the cells what you're doing today. Yes, that's, 
who is it? Eric, I think Eric Buttersworth, the uh, Unity Church early uh, minister back in mm-hmm. the 70s. He, his quote is, the subconscious mind doesn't take a joke. Wow, good one, Kevin. <laughs> wow. Subconscious mind doesn't take a joke. Dude, that's my takeaway. That's a good one. I'm going to write that and remember that because, boy, do I like to make some jokes sometimes. Right. That's a good one. Thank you. Nice. So anything else you want to say about the truth or knowing the truth for yourself? Um, well, it's just that, you know, when you find what resonates in you, what makes you feel alive, you know, when you find those things, then you, then the next thing is to be honest, you know, to be honest and, and, and to live and abide by it, to, to, you know, not to deny it, not to, uh, work against it or to, uh, refuse it or to, uh, to decide that, uh, it can wait, you know, um, to be, uh, to be honest to it, to be honest to, uh, yourself into what is resonating in yourself. And that's a really key thing because uh, uh, that honesty to yourself is, is crucial to, I would say to put it in a very like technical way, it's crucial to be able to be able to experience the complete wholeness of who you are and honesty is crucial. Uh, yeah. if you, if you don't, if you, if you don't engage that, honestly, if you don't engage, engage that resonance within yourself, what's true, honestly, and then, and then be, uh, be good to that, be honestly, be good to that. Then it's hard to experience the whole electricity of who you are, you know, it, you become compartmental, become fragmented. Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, again, I've seen that happen with, uh, too many situations and too many friends of mine that, you know, they're, they're friends of mine that basically will come to me and say, well, I, I want to say, why did you, why did you, do, why did you do that? I had to do it. Well, you know, you had to do it, you know, and you, you didn't, it didn't resonate with you. You didn't agree with it, but you had to do it. Well, that's where you, you lose that connection of the wholeness of who you are, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, this, this, this literally, you know, nothing that we have to do, mm-hmm. you know, but, but certainly, you know, there are some things that will challenge us to yeah. hug us all the way. They'll challenge us to the furthest limit. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, one of the one of the things I've been letting go to grow is the frame in my brain around loyalty. Yeah. I took that on as a personality trait. You know, I read my horoscope, I'm a cancer, you know. And I was like, I'm loyal. And so I really use that to navigate a lot of my decisions and my ego structure Mm -hmm. to be loyal. Mm 
And now I'm recognizing that the value of authenticity overrides that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's been some shifts in my relationships and in my choices. Mm-hmm. Because the loyalty still has a strong impetus, don't get me wrong, because I was using it to grow for such a long time. Uh-huh. But the authenticity is getting stronger and more clear because I'm I'm not in any type of stress or fear. You know, I'm very much in my own my own grace, you know. So I'm listening from the most connected place and recognizing that the most I could bring to anyone is my authentic expression. And that once I'm compromised by this idea of loyalty or even the archetypes you wear, like I made decisions around the archetype of being a mother. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And and in some ways I, I framed my responses based on what I thought could be tolerated, which meant I wasn't being authentic. Right. There you go. And I mean, that's coming as I get older and I'm like, wow. And I can appreciate why there would be a saboteur or a part of me that'd be mad because I'm not being honest. Right, right. That's where the wholeness of yourself gets hard to, it's, it's hard to experience that. Because yet you get, if you're not honest, then that wholeness is become fragmented. You know? Right. So yeah. That's, exactly. That's how that, that, you know, I, I like to think of it as this electrical field that you are. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. this electrical field. You're, you know, we're all light. That's who we are. We're all light, you know, and that light is very much what we imagine it to be, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why when, when we deal with the, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, you know, you know, why? Because I had to, you know, well, all that, you know, everything is just the light that you imagine. So if you mm-hmm. imagine it, that you have to do something, that's just some light you're imagining, you know, and you can definitely change that around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is an illusion, by the way. So right, yes, right. yes, we definitely can move things in the matrix more yeah. than we recognize. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Wonderful. Well, we're going so long, but it's so good. So I'm having fun. So well, let's get to this last question. Just give you a little bit to say. Okay. We just some shared values. The last thing we're asking is, what are some of your suggested shared values for us as a human family or as a collective? Things that we consider because. I'm also recognizing that our shared projections or our shared ideas, like we're helping to co-create what experiences, right? So we're just co- getting from all of us, what are some of the shared values that you'd want to implement and things for us all to consider? Shared values for all of us to implement. I would want us all to implement this feeling of the divinity and sacredness of everybody mm. and of ourselves. I want us all to implement that. You know, when you see someone else that is a divine being and you mm. divine being, you see someone else that is a sacred being, you are a sacred being. And if we could implement that, you know, before we begin to even process what we heard about somebody, mm-hmm. think about somebody, mm-hmm. who we think they are, mm-hmm. to be able to first say divine being, divine being, mm-hmm. sacred being, sacred being, first be able to use that as a first 
you know, interpretation. Nice. And and to try to kind of keep those other interpretations off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Those off the shelf, you know, mm-hmm. because people are different all the time. People are changing mm-hmm. all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I was the same person I was three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know? True um, story. And, and or to judge me based on that. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know. Um, and we're meeting ourselves, right? Like, so when I say I'm meeting the divine, that means I'm meeting my divine too, right? Because I'm looking for the divinity. Like the gentleman who owns the farm, Dennis, he calls it God's divine reflection. Like when I would come at him and do some back talk or tell some story, he goes, what are you doing? Why are you reflecting somebody like that? Reflect their, like he would remind me to be their divine reflection, like to reflect right. the best in that person. Whereas right. my inventory taking or my assessment tools would somehow come out with my little agenda or thoughts. Right. But that wasn't helpful to anybody other than me wanting to show myself that I could figure out puzzles or something. Right. right. You know, it was like reflect the divinity of that person. Yep. Yep. And all persons, not just the ones that you think are cool. Yep. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because that's their version of God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've had to accept that, you know, even most recently, you know, as of today, mm-hmm. you know, because again, I don't want to I sit and talk politics. I don't want to get you canceled for my talking politics. But, <laughs> so I'll try to be discreet about this, but right. I spent a lot, I spent, I put a lot of effort Mm-hmm. into trying to help the conservative candidate win the governor race. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the conservative candidate didn't win the governor race. I'm not going to get involved with how or what or who shot, if they say the who shot John about the whole thing. <laughs> but I'm going to say that I have to accept the divinity of the person that won. Mm-hmm. I have to accept that person and say, whatever divine time and whatever divine space that that we're in Mm -hmm. there is a reason that person won that Mm -hmm. allows me to fully express my divinity Mm -hmm. nice i'm going to accept that be with that i'm not going to go around calling names Mm -hmm. saying you know oh Mm -hmm. it should have been it could have been it should have been no That just grows the funky stuff, you know, like it's always about, you know, letting it happen because every time we think it should be different or change it, we lose a lot of life force on that course. And that electrical current, like, I don't know, I just been really dreaming of how to share it more loudly that what if we really are like the trees? Like what if there really is a sovereignty in our ability to keep our energy to the source back up and down and back around again and to use music and dance to do that and to recognize that we're all connected but still sovereign, you know, still within ourselves as sacred containers and not all entangled in game boards of dominance or blaming and shaming and staining and all that such thing, right? Because whatever happened for me happened for me. Like, and I definitely lived through some situations that I'm like, are you kidding me? But I knew even as I was getting into it, I was like, this is going to be a run. This is going to go some crazy shit's going to go down. But I knew that it was going to stuff that was going to help me grow. Right. 
And sometimes you just have to say yes to what the script is, but try not to make it so dirty with like your backlash, because that's really just you saying that you're not taking care of your connection. You're talking crap about someone else. That's true. That's true. As I, I like to say, you know, as I said in a poem, color with love, whether it's tomorrow or yesterday, color it all with love, you know, mm. color it all with the best that could have happened. Nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. I appreciate that. Color it yeah. with love, whether it's tomorrow or yesterday, color it with love. Yep. I do like to color, so thank you. Yeah. And I'm all for this army of divinity living in transparency, moving in and flowing and reaping what we're sowing. So universe, thank you for this beautiful time with my brother, Kevin Nathaniel, and thank you for the way you bring lives together at the perfect time to say exactly what they need to say. Thank you for the way everything continues to evolve and grow and okay. get to know more from the deeper source connection that's part of us by design. And thank you for our new voice and this conversation growing into whatever houses it can. So you start to have the conversations with the people around you that allows you to reflect their divinity too. Thank you. Thank you, Goisa. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, this is Madeline again. If you're interested in learning more about co-creation and building a new foundation, check out the website, gwtsfamily.com and get involved. Join us in growing this frequency of more peace and harmony and possibility. Turning in all the directions, calling above and below to the space inside me that longs to glow. I call for the wisdom of my teachers and my elders and the wisest part of me. What is it that's going to set us free? How can we find harmony in this family? Please teach me. Show me the way. I know, we will open. Where is it? Where's the fire? Rhythm in the middle. Stay centered. Stay true. Do what you're here to do. That's what'll soothe your soul. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm in the 